In 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter 7, um, we're going to be in Genesis to start with, but I wanted, I wanted to know just if you would, from what we've read in men's Bible study and what we've read already today, um, I just want to know if there's a, a word of praise on anyone's heart tonight uh, because of what we just sang, one song we just sang, and it reminded me so much of what we've read in men's Bible study and here already tonight that... Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And God created all the earth and all that's there and all the, all the intricacies of it, all the details of it. Uh, God created it and he said, it is good. It is good. And he created you and me and he said, it's very good. And the one line, and I thought that goodness, we think of God's creation and the whole earth not only filled with his masterful design, but the earth was filled with God's goodness. It was filled with the goodness of God. And we, we sang a line in 446, and it says, Watching and waiting and looking above, filled with his goodness. Do you know that when, when you and I, I hadn't had this thought before, but when you and I receive Christ as our Savior, He fills us with His goodness, His righteousness. We're declared justified because we've been bought with a price, redeemed with the blood of Christ. Filled as the earth was in the beginning, we have a new life filled with the goodness of God. That's an amazing thought. We forget that a lot. But then it says, that next line, it says, lost in his love. I wonder if there's a testimony on your heart tonight of how you're lost in that love. How are you lost in the goodness and the love of God? Yes, Jeff. <laughs> that is a good place to be. his goodness and lost in his love and can't get out. Anybody else? Testimony? Yes, Robin. Providing a son that's saved and a, a son that cares for that granddaughter to see that she understands the gospel and, and gets lost in that love too. What else? We can tarry here a bit. Yes, Barb. I always think of being lost in a forest or in a great area that I can't get out of. I think of being lost in his love. There's no way out of it. There's, it's just all surrounding, mm. ever-encompassing. Mm. There's no way out of it. We're, mm. 
because he placed his spirit within our heart and he ain't going nowhere. Water gets in. Did you wash behind your ears? Well, the water went there when I was immersed in it. It's everywhere, every crack and every, every crevice. We're immersed in his love. That's a good thought, too. Immersed in it. Just dunk us. And we don't, we don't need to come up for air. What else? Anybody else? Someone can buy off. Just, I think it's good to share together. And it's just good to think of this being filled with the goodness of God and lost in his love. I think of that uh, myself as being um, lost before and not knowing where I was going. But now I'm lost and know exactly where I'm going. Just lost in that love that provided a way and the truth and the life to him. And just kind of lost in that, lost in that thought of I'm headed there. Anybody else? We can tarry. We can tarry together. It's good to be together and just hear God's people voice their love for the Lord and what it means to them. Um, I don't know. I've told the story before. When I was on that mission trip in Vienna, Austria, I was lost one day. I went out running and got turned around in Vienna, and I didn't know where I was. You know, lost in his love, God knew exactly where I was. And he not only provided the way back to where I needed to be, but he provided uh, an opportunity to, to witness on the way. So I wasn't really lost at all. God had me right where he wanted me. So lost in his love. Well, we're going we're gonna to look tonight at 1 Corinthians chapter um, 7, verses 1 through 9. Um, Beginning this section, a new section, and teaching on marriage. And uh, we're going to read a little bit in Genesis. Um, because a man once told me, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. I learned how to nap. Learned how to share. Learned the alphabet. And reading is fundamental. Uh, learned to obey authority, a teacher, and you know, follow directions. Everything I needed to know for life, I learned in kindergarten. Well, everything I think that we really need to know is in the beginning, and we start, we have to start somewhere, and we start with God, and we start with the creation, and we're going to look on some teaching on marriage, so we're going we're gonna to go back to kindergarten a little bit, go back to Genesis, and read just a little bit there. We've already read in Genesis chapter 1, God made man in his own image. In verse 27 of chapter 1, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And we want to go on down a little bit farther into chapter 2, another, the creation of man and woman. And we'll go to, let's see, um, well, we'll go down to verse 18. Verse 18, Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see 
what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God, in the beginning, not only created all things that were good, but God created marriage. And God created that institution for three reasons. Uh, For procreation, because later he's going to say, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So they were commanded, really, to to procreate, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. Um, For pleasure, because they were to be intimate with one another. They were to know each other. They were to be one flesh. And they were to cohabitate as a couple. This helper that God brought was from his own body. And it says there that they were to become one flesh. They were to cohabitate. They were to share the joy of intimacy. And that was created by God. It was created for a purpose, for procreation, for pleasure and for intimacy and for companionship. Let us, we just read it, let us find a helper for it's not good that he's alone. So God, in the beginning, created man and woman, created marriage, created that couple, created intimacy between that couple. And you know what it was? The earth was filled with the goodness of God. And then sin entered the world. And all kinds of problems with relationships. All kinds of of deviations from from what God created. You know, in the culture that we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians in Rome, there were like four different things that were going on in marriage and in, in, in relationships. There was number one was slaves could live together. According to their master, they could live together. It's called contuberneum. It was called it was basically it meant tent companionship. They could live together as long as the master said so. They could be broken up at any time, but they could live together in a tent. Uh, there was usus. Uh, it was called um, common law. Uh, they could just live together for a year, and they would be considered in the eyes of Rome married. Common law. There was kamitapianaman, whatever. That's probably wrong. But it was when a father would sell his daughter to be married. Father would sell his daughter to be married. All kinds of things messed up from God's original goodness and plan. There was also one other one, uh, confaratio, which was how we get our common things today from marriage. Uh, even uh, that commitment of they would come together before an officiate. There would be rings exchanged. There would be a bouquet. There would be flowers. There would be um, there would be that coming together as a married couple, but even that was just 
come and go. People could change. Many people in Rome were married, some of them, up to 20 times. All messed up from the original plan of God's goodness. And the people in, in, the, in Corinth, we read a couple of weeks ago in chapter 6. It says there, we read at the end of chapter 6, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So I then, so shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. For you see, even not only in marriage, but in religion, there were these temples. And people were worshiping at these temples of false gods. And part of that worship was to practice prostitution. And there was awful things going on in the name of religion. Things that shouldn't be. And Paul talked about that. He said, should you take the member of Christ, the member of Christ's body, and join them to a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. Where did we just read that? In Genesis. God's plan and design, I want to tell you today, has not changed. What we learned in Genesis is valid and should be applied to our lives and to our marriages and to our relationships today. And we won't even go into all the things that are messed up in, mostly out of Hollywood, about marriage and relationships. And he goes on to say here at the end of chapter 6, but the one that joins himself to Christ is one in his body. So he says, flee immorality. In verse 18, or porneia, or sexual sins. Flee those things. Every other sin is outside, that man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You know what that is? Filled with his goodness. Changed. Filled with his goodness. The temple of the Holy Spirit, and and who, who is in you, whom you have from God as a gift of God and, and a down payment on your inheritance of who you are in Christ and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price and therefore glorify God in your body. Our sermon of our title tonight is Committed and Submitted. Committed to the Lord and committed to God's plan, committed to one another and submitted to the authority of God and submitting to one another in a right relationship. And so a couple of things I want to talk about as we begin is we want to be committed as believers, committed to a life in the light of who we are because of the gospel. Because we're filled with the goodness of God and his love has been poured into our hearts. We are filled and lost in his love and we are different people. We should live that way and we should take and I think Paul wants the people to understand that. A moral stance that goes against the grain of our sin nature and against the very society that we live in. We live differently because God has called us to be his children and he has paid a great price for us. Do you not know who you are in Christ? Filled with his goodness. Lost in his love. And we live counterculture, counterculture to the world around us, or we should. And so... All that being said, 
Paul is going to teach on marriage here. We're going to look at that first. We'll see how far we get. Probably not real far tonight. I'll, I'll not go long, I promise. Um, there's, we only have one half of this uh, conversation because it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, now concerning the things about which he wrote. So we only have one side. Of, there was another letter that Paul is answering some questions from them about what's going on. Um, what's taking place in their, in their midst and in, in their society, in the church. They've got some questions, and evidently they've asked him some things about marriage and relationships and sexuality and all of those things. They, they've got some questions. They may have asked some things like this. Is sex a sin? Well, God created it, and God created it in goodness, and it is not a sin practiced correctly. I just want to tell you that. They may have had a question, should we, though married, be celibate? And he's going to talk about celibacy. Should we be celibate? Now that we're uh, Christian and we're living in this uh, society that's all around us that's promoting these things and at the temple and all those things, should, should, even though we're married, should we be celibate? Does a man have authority over his wife? Here's one that they may have thought. Is celibacy more spiritual than not being celibate? In other words, if I practice that, am I holier than thou? They had those questions about these things. Maybe some of these questions. He says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, I want to answer some of these. And so we're going to look at those things tonight. He's already told them in chapter 6 to flee immorality. Fornication is not God's will. It's a sin. And it still continues to be, despite what the world says today, it is a sin. Outside of marriage. And God tells us in other places, we'll look in Ephesians, where that marriage and that relationship between a man and a wife is similar to the relationship between Christ and his, his bride, the church. It's, it's right, and it's holy, and it's perfect, and it was created that way. And practiced correctly, it's a good thing. And it's a necessary thing. It's a good thing. He's going to talk about that. It's good in the sight of God uh, not to involve yourself in those type of things. Sexual immorality. Flee those things. God in his wisdom has provided a good and a perfect and a proper plan in his will for us to submit to and to commit to and to follow. So, again, I say any fornication or Sexual activity outside of God's will for man is sinful in all ways. But within a marriage, we're told in Hebrews chapter 13, that the marriage bed is undefiled. That it is proper and it is good in God's sight. Because you know why it is? Because it's obedient to the plan of God. It's obedient to the plan of God. So flee immorality. Run from those things. Sex outside of God's will for man is simply sin. And so he says, run from those things, flee from those things. Now, concerning the things about which he wrote, and some think, you know, that we don't have the questions that they ask. And so this, a lot of commentators think there should be quotation marks around this second half of verse 1. It is good for him. Is it good for a man not to touch a woman? Well, in, in cases outside of marriage, yes. Inside of marriage, it's all, it's all right. It's, it's 
ordained by God. It's in God's creative plan and purposes for procreation, for pleasure, for companionship. Those things are right. But because of immoralities, each man, each man should be committed or should have his own wife. And each woman is to have her own husband. Because of the sins in the world, because of immoralities that are going on, it's good that each man be committed and have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. This isn't just saying, here's the out to get away from immoralities. He isn't saying that. Okay? He isn't saying that here's just, because of immoralities, here's the out that God has provided. Here's the plan that God has provided that is right to be in. Okay? But there are immoralities. There are, there are desires because sin has entered the world... There are temptations out there for each and every one of us. You see it all the time. I do too. And you know, Satan knows, Satan knows how God made us, I think, that men are visual and, and, and women are emotional and, and attracted by those things. And to be tempted by those things, is, it's, it's out there. Let's just admit it. And we need, you and I need to be careful how we live. Careful how we live according to God's word and according to God's plan for us. So Paul says, because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty. And you know that word duty means his, his benevolence or his kindness and his care. Each husband must fulfill his kindness and benevolence, his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So it's good and it's proper within marriage. And each husband and each wife is to, to fulfill their duties, their kindness and their tenderness to one another and their intimacy to one another's. The wife, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In society, in, in that day and in today, it's the same thing. The man is the head of the household, and what he says goes. They have different roles, but they, were, they are equal in God's sight. Each, whether a man or a woman, is lost and needs a Savior. A man and a woman have different roles, but they are co-equal within that marriage. They have no, he doesn't have authority over the wife, and the wife doesn't have authority over the man, but they don't have authority even over their own bodies, but they are to be submitted and committed to one another in what? In unity and love, because, because God's richness and goodness has, been filled, has filled them, and God's love has been poured into their hearts. So that relationship, I just want to tell you today, I want to tell you this today. Not only with your spouse, but with the Lord, nurture those relationships. And you know how you nurture those relationships? You do the little things every day. My wife knows that I love her, you might say. She just she knows I love her, I married her. Nurture it by saying it. Express that out of your mouth. And the little things you do, nurture that, that love and that fellowship, that intimacy with one another. It goes way beyond the physical. It's that kindred spirit. And the two shall become one, it says. 
one in spirit, one in, in desires, one together. As believers, that's the perfect match between believer and believer should be together. Now, that's messed up, too, because there are some that are in this church that probably are married to unbelievers. He's going to talk about what to do there. And maybe some are, uh, their wife has left them. What should we do there? There's all kinds of situations and scenarios. But the perfect scenario is believer married to believer, caring and loving for one another because the goodness of, of God has been given to them in his righteousness and the love of God has been poured into their hearts so they love and care more for their spouse than they do for themselves. And they, in love, submit to one another. That's the perfect plan. doesn't always work that way. But that's the perfect plan. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife, but the husband does. The, and likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so they should come together. They should, they should come together in agreement and unity and love for one another because the goodness of God has been given to them. They are filled with that. And they are, they are lost in God's love and I think should be lost in love for one another. God's, let me tell you, the same in marriage as in our relationship with God. God did not intend for that love to wane for that love to grow cold, for that love to just get by. God wants us to love him, first of all, with all of our heart and soul and mind. And for that love and that appreciation and that that gratitude and that thankfulness, lost in his love, growing more lost every day in it. And God wants our relationship with our spouse to grow in the same way. To care more for others than ourselves, to, to show that by the things that we do. And to not say, I'm Lord over my wife. Or the wife to say, I'll show him. No, that, that love should grow for one another as our love grows for the Lord. They're tied together, one for another. Faithful to the Lord and faithful to one another. Let a husband be faithful in his kindness, his benevolence, his tenderness, his caring for his wife and the life uh, and, the, and the wife do the same. They're equal in spiritual salvation, equal in responsibilities and duties to one another. And the two shall become one, one flesh and sex between a husband and a wife is a deep connection of love, care, a bond that practiced correctly only grows a husband and wife together more closely through time. That's the way God set it up. To be one together in unity, in love for one another, and love for those around them too, and love for the Lord. That should grow. And that should grow, and it's by God's design. It's not, it's not something to be talked about on the back corner or down the alley. It's something that God has designed for you and I for our good and not our harm. And practiced correctly is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And the world, the world makes it dirty. The world makes it wrong. And that's just because of sin in our world today. But a husband should be faithful to the Lord and faithful to his wife. And the wife likewise doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does because he cares for her and she cares for him. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he loves his wife and cares for her. And it says 
this answer in this celibacy or the question about that, should, should we be celibate? Should we, should we stop practicing these things to be more holy? I think there's a lot of folks that are called priests today that got that all messed up. That, that they don't have that gift. And he's going to talk about that later. That they try to practice what they aren't gifted to do. And then they end up in, in trouble. But he says there's some stipulations for that. He says stop depriving one another of the rights of each other's bodies and for one another and for that intimacy. Stop depriving one another except, and he gives us some exceptions of how that should happen, except by agreement for a time. Not one side or the other saying, I'm doing this to you, but together we will do this together in agreement with one another. Come together in agreement over that. Except for agreement and for a time. It isn't for an extended period. It says for a time, for a period of time, not for the rest of our married life. For a time, come together and agree with these things. Agree about these things. That you wait, might what? That you can agree about these things together for a certain amount of time, for not an extended period, so that you can devote yourself to prayer. Come together for prayer and devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I wrote in my Bible here, just simply don't give Satan a foothold in your marriage. Don't give him a foothold in your marriage. Because he's looking for one. Don't give him that opportunity and that crack in, in, the, in the togetherness. Devote yourself to one another. Come together and agree on the same thing for a time, not an extended time, devote yourself to prayer. That's the reason why you should do that, to devote yourself to the Lord and to prayer for a time and get commitment together so that Satan will not tempt you and you will not give him a foothold in your marriage. And you know, they had questions too about if I'm, if I'm married to an unbeliever, should I just annul that? Should I Get rid of that wife. Or if they've left, should I marry again? Or what should I do? They had all kinds of questions. And we're going to kind of finish with this because we'll talk about this more next week. But the overriding, the overriding thing in chapter 7 that Paul tells them is this. He says in verse 8, remain even as I. Here's what he wants them to do. We'll talk about that more next week. But each, each time he talks about that, several times here, he says, each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. And then over again in verse uh, 24, he says, Brethren, each one of us is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. And then down farther, he says in uh, verse 40, But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. One of the overriding factors in this chapter is don't try to make change and change in where you are. God has placed you there. Don't try to get out of that or make a change in that. Serve the Lord where you are. And trust him in where you are. And serve him right there. You've been made one in Christ with him. You've been bought with a price, with a very expensive price. The Lord loves you and cares for you and longs for fellowship with you. You don't need a change in scenery. You need more of him. And so some of them were saying, well, should I do this and I do that? Would that be holier? Would that be more righteous? Would that be? No, you have been filled with the goodness of God. You should be lost in his love. 
love for him and then love for others, seeking to serve him where you are today. And if God moves, we'll talk about that. If God moves in this way or gifts in that way and gives you that gift of celibacy or gives you that other gift, then exercise that gift to the glory of God. Not everybody has the same gift or the same role, but God gifts according to his purpose and according to his plan in your life. And I want to tell you today that God is intimately involved in your life if you are a believer. Intimately involved in your life. You should be lost in that love for him. And serve him faithfully, committed and submitted to his word. And I've already talked a little bit about nurture that intimate walk with the Lord. Nurture that. As far as your spouse, let love grow. Let respect grow and nurture that. As far as our walk with the Lord, let faith grow and submit completely to his word and be obedient to that. In other words, nurture that relationship with the Lord and with one another and grow in your love for the Lord and grow in your service to him because he first loved you. And so we'll, we'll look more next week. We're not going to get through all of this. And he just wants them to know that, you know, celibacy is not more holy than being married. Okay. There are different gifts. There are different uh, styles of life. But God has gifted men in different ways. But God says, and Paul says through this chapter, remain right where you are and serve the Lord. Don't try to get out of a situation. That happens all the time. Well, I'm not happy, so I'll move on. That's what the world says. The wor- and God says, you've been filled with the goodness of God. And God's love surrounds you guide you, what would God have, you know, that's our first thought. What would God have me do that glorifies him who loved me first? Paul wants them to think that way. He wants them to think biblically. We're going to just, he wants them to go back to kindergarten. Say, this is the way God designed it. Let's follow God's plan, not our own wisdom. He's talked about that before in this book, about them following the culture and the wisdom and the philosophy of the world. And it's just... It's not the right plan. It's, it's foolishness. It's, it's God laughs at that wisdom of man. He wants them to honor God right where they are, right in the marriage they are, and have that marriage and that intimacy grow and have that relationship with the Lord that saved them grow. We'll look more next week at, at, at this um, last part of these few verses here um, and kind of recap that. It's hard to talk about these things, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And if it's in God's word, we're going to talk about those things. Okay. And God wants, God wants, God wants the best for you and me. He does. And he wants us to live according to his word. You know why? Because it's the best for us. And he wants that for us. And so when we commit to that, commit to his word and commit to living a life that's pleasing to him. It shows our love for him. And when we live a life that, that with our spouse, that 
we fulfill our duty of tenderness and kindness and care and commitment to one another and unity within that marriage. That's an important thing. Um, I thank the Lord every day that he has grown our marriage. And that isn't, that isn't me. That's God's goodness in me. Growing me and changing us. God wants us to grow in that way and be his people in a culture that is all messed up. We should be lights in the world and hold fast the word of truth before the world today. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time tonight and for your word tonight. Thank you for the plan that was good in the beginning and it's good today. Your plan, perfect and right. Uh, Thank you for your word tonight and for just the the thoughts that come from it. Thank you for your people. We each want to encourage one another, lift up one another, both in, in conversations and in prayer for one another. So help us to do that. Thank you, Lord, tonight, too, Lord. Thank you for um, filling us with your goodness. Thank you for causing us to be lost in you and in your love that surrounds us, that fills us, that controls us. Let us us follow you wholeheartedly and submit and commit to your word today more than we ever have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.